The Buddhism and Breath Summit took place online in 2021 with a group of researchers exploring Buddhist practices of working with the breath, or the winds, of the body. The event was co-hosted by me, Francis Garrett, and Pierce Salguero, and it was co-sponsored by the Robert H. N. Ho Family Foundation Center for Buddhist Studies at the University of Toronto and Jivaka.net. The following talk is entitled, Breath, In the Body and Beyond and it's delivered by Dr. Anne Carolyn Klein, who's a professor at Rice University, a co-founder of the Don Mountain Center for Tibetan Buddhism, and a lama in the Nyingma Buddhist tradition. Her extensive research career has looked at embodied interactions between the head and heart across a spectrum of Buddhist theories of cognitive and somatic knowing. You can watch the video of this talk and find other resources from the Buddhism and Breath Summit at jivaka.net. That's J-I-V-A-K-A, jivaka.net, N-E-T. Greetings, everyone. I'm Anne Klein, and I'm happy to be offering you today a kind of medley of topics that interest me around breath. I was really inspired by Francis's great creativity in and out of the classroom and introducing this amazing topic. So um, a lot of fun. Looking forward to exchange with all of you. I'm going to be reflecting somewhat phenomenologically on breath and how being connected with breath can shift our, our sense of being shifted also in dependence on where in the body we touch into as we experience breath. And I'm going to also connect it to other topics within the Tibetan context that are somewhat related to breath, namely, of course, lung, prana uh, in the body, and also the ancient category of la, vitality. So breath, of course, is related with the element of air, and air is defined as that which is light and moving. So that means that everything that moves is connected with the air element, which at its most subtle is green light, and is associated also with the all-accomplishing wisdom embodied in the Moga City and the Karma family. As Chiganamta Norbert Rinpoche once said, air is not like the other elements. And I've often wondered what he meant by that. But one thing is that, of course, everything that moves is therefore connected with air and in some sense with breath. In this way, uh, the element is also connected with principles of dynamism, which in the Tibetan context include, for example, the life force known as la, as well as lung, as I've mentioned. And though I won't discuss it here, I think also connected with The dynamic display, or tell, is so central to the Dzogchen tradition. So let's go back to breath. In practice, the tripartite structure of breathing, in, rest, exhale, is associated with the seed syllables, omahon, which in turn are regarded as the essence of the three buddhakayas, white om, red ah, blue hum, the Nirmanakaya or formed form, the Sambhogakaya or bright form, the sheer form, Dharmakaya. So breath is considered in oral commentaries, I've heard to just by its very nature be that sound. And of course, we know from 
the Tibetan context that the sound is the letter, not the ligature. So the sound, the seed syllable, is itself the sound of the breath of the three kayas. This then makes breath one of the simplest bridges between the ordinary human state and the awakened state. Breathing three kayas all the time. When it comes to wisdom, which is also, of course, an element of the three kayas, crucial element, wisdom can't be taught, thought, or expressed. Masam jame shero parochin. That's a key phrase from Rahula's famous praise of wisdom. And Jigme Lingva talks about this in his wisdom chat, number 71, where he comments on this verse. And he says there that pranya parmita, mother wisdom, can't be expressed because the essence of speech Expression is speech, he says, and the essence of speech is wind, is look. It can't be expressed because of the way wind moves in the body during ordinary usage of speech. It moves through uh, the movement of the karmic wing, winds, the side channels. It doesn't enter the central channel, which is the only place where wisdom is um, manifest. Longchamp also says that wisdom is everywhere in the body, but there's a certain way in which the energies are associated with the central channel are a support for wisdom. So if that's not happening, Jimmy Lingbe is saying, you're not talking about wisdom. You can't. Therefore, wisdom cannot be spoken. This in turn relates to zone practices for helping the winds enter into the central channel. These are held quite secretly still in Tibet, and I'm a respecter of those customs. However, the core principles are described briefly in Longchemba's Semjongdung, Seven Mind Trainings, explicitly trainings for Dzogchen, where he offers as a basis for Dzogchen uh, these seven trainings, which are found in the Precious Copper Letters subsection of the Bhima Nyingtik, commented on in the Nyingtik Yashi. So the placement of the text also tells us it's a Dzogchen text. The seventh of the seven trainings focuses on the three non-conceptual states, uh, unifying bliss and emptiness, clarity and emptiness, and then reflecting on reality itself. The winds are most elaborately involved in the first, the non-conceptual union of bliss and emptiness. This meditation begins with bringing attention deep into the body, to the central channel, noticing its color, its size, its feel, its transparency, its luminosity, uh, going from the um, navel center where it is closed through up to the crown chakra where it is open, uh, below the navel, there's a blazing red ah and uh, an upside down hum at the top of the channel. And the heat rises through the central channel in the course of the meditation session and begins to melt the amrita constituted hum at the top of the channel. So it kind of drizzles down and percolates through all of the channels of the body. Once the channels are filled with nectar, you engage in the four applications, the chorwa shi, pulling in, settling, churning the breath around in the belly, and shooting it out like an arrow. 
holding your breath while this is done so that the intake of the breath is the first step, uh, settling it, and you're, you're pulling up from the bottom and pushing down from the top so you have a pocket, a vase uh, there, which then you hold while you uh, move it, turn it around your own belly. In the next two non-conceptual practices, joining clarity and emptiness and contemplating reality, uh, you don't churn anymore. You, uh, it's, it's less tightly held in the body. And in the practice of non-conceptual reality, there is no holding, according to oral instructions, at least. These four applications are not, strictly speaking, tantric practices. Lanchamba makes a point in Trimta in Precious Treasury of Philosophical Systems, that Dzogchenba, Dzogchen, as Dzogchen, doesn't actually feel the need to engage in the lung business to get the uh, energies to enter the central channel because this happens naturally. And part of what allows it to happen naturally is actually another thing associated with movement and with the whole energy of the body as well as breath, settling the breath, wrong pup, you're a lot wrong pup, Lulu, cayenne, these different ways of just being open and relaxed, which means uh, has significance for how the breath is experienced, just kind of dropping down into the belly, settling, being in the view as possible. And that will bring the energies into the channels. However, almost all Dzogchenbas, and I think all the ones that I have known, do in fact practice Tantra and do in fact practice Zalong. So all of this, of course, is to accomplish wisdom. And we have seen the breath is vital to life and it's vital to the life of wisdom as well. So who can impart this wisdom? Well, in the Tibetan tradition, of course, that would be a lama. And what is a lama? A lama is one who has a lot of law. Buddhists generally etymologize this as high mother. Uh, however, the word law seems to predate the arrival of Buddhism in Tibet and seems to have come uh, actually from ancient Turkey and be the equivalent of that word kut, Q-U-T which seems to have very much the same meaning as our understanding of law. Now, an interesting thing about law or could is that it is not limited to only creatures who are alive, which is mostly where we find things associated with breath. But law, as we know, can be, it is part of the human being and it is also part of the landscape. There is law in mountains and rivers. Uh, there may be a lot so, a soul lake that is somehow very deeply connected with one's own life and the law in one's own body. So law is a kind of uh, transcendent kind of entity, which is, which is unusual. It can be in land, it can be in humans, and which is not true of other things closely associated with the body and its um, vitality. There's law, there's soak, there's namshe. So law can leave the body. It will impact one's health, but you don't die, at least not immediately. If law has been uh, somehow jolted out of one due to an accident or some kind of shock, it is important to try to bring it back 
And so in Ben, we have particularly a strong lalu, the calling, retrieval of the soul. That means bringing back that, that energy into the body. And I have seen that have profound effects on people. Perhaps you have also. Uh, soak, however, when that's done, you're done. Your life is over. Namshi, consciousness, on the other hand, is there throughout life. You will lose your connection with the body uh, through Namshi departing it, and the body will die, but the Namshi and the continuity of one's being goes on. So law has a special place among that triad. The Central Asian Turkic idea of kut also saw kut as the spirit of a mountain and also possibly the attribute of a living person, like a great Khan who conquered a lot of territory would be said to have a lot of kut, just like a great Lama um, is understood to have a lot of a power, vitality of a certain kind, a lot of law, in fact. Likewise, in the beliefs of the old Turkic people of Central Asia, Kut is a cosmic force linking the earth with the infinite sky. Implicitly, this is true in the Buddhist use of law as well. And we see that law, like breath, is an integrating category. It brings together disparate elements Ordinary and awaken in the case of Buddhism, in the case of the Perfection of Wisdom Sutra that we just mentioned, land, sky, sea, human, all can participate in law. From a modern perspective, what is especially interesting about breath, law, and the air element is that they are all instances of what Daniel Stern in his brilliant study of infant perception, the interpersonal world of the infant published in 1985, calls vitality. And he got so interested in vitality, he wrote another little book on it in 2010. So vitality has, it's become a kind of modern category owing partly to his work. And just as the element of air, at least, is associated with cross-functional categories, so vitality is important because it is transmodal. It is something unlike form and color, which is only available, generally speaking, to the eye sense. Um, vitality is, is available to all of the senses. It's not captured by only one sensory type of experience. A loud sound would be an oral experience of vitality. A powerful taste would be a gustatory experience of vitality, a strong uh, kinesthetic experience, uh, tactile experience, vitality. It's transmodal. We know that the Buddha is also transmodal, at least that's what the texts tell us. So there seems to be some kind of interesting mirroring here going on in terms of trying to understand um, human experience in the context of experience that isn't totally captured by specifically defined human capacities, if that's not too broad and general a thing to say. Um, thus, again, we see that law, like vitality, like could, is highly integrative, intersectional as a category. Let me return again to, in closing, to the notion of elements. Air itself is elemental movement, as we have said, and therefore, as also said, in close relationship with everything that moves, therefore, with all other elements. Earth, by contrast, for example, is defined as that which is solid and stable. However, the earth also has movement associated with it, and therefore, we can speak of uh, the 
uh, long earth element, all of the five elements can be seen in any one element typically. So we speak of the uh, earth space, wind space, and so on in terms of the space element. They're integrative. The elements are integrative which, with each other also, which is kind of interesting. They're basic building blocks, but they are not tightly bounded. They are Jumwa. They are risings. They arise. And they arise in, in multiplicity of ways. In their arising, they are all associated with movement and thus with air and thus, again, a kissing cousin to breath. Movement is life. Breath is vital. Breath kisses everything. The air element kisses everything. No wonder it is regarded, likewise, as present in everything. And in this, it is also connected with the Dakini, famous for moving, for flying, for speeding through the sky of her own wisdom, the air of her that is her home. A Tibetan salutation to the Dakini uses the Sanskrit namo sarva dakie. Depending on how one reads this compound, it means um, homage to the Dakini, who is everything and who is the Dakini, sarva chadaki chaya. Savasya Daki, the Dakini of everything. Sarvasmin Daki, the Dakini within everything. The same could be said of breath, the breath which is everywhere, which is in everything. So in honor of the stirrings of Dakini, breath, air, and vitality in all of us, I invite you to rest your gaze for a few moments and your attention lightly on your breath and just... Uh, experience whatever integration might be possible. I'm going to share my screen. It might be clunky for a moment. Oh.